I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Waffle House. Steve. What's going on, brother? Good to be back. We're uh, we got a great episode coming up, guys. We're going to interview Aoife Gallagher, uh, who... um, works for an organization called ISD. She'll tell us all about it, but it focuses a lot on the rise of extremism and conspiracy theories. And uh, we talk to her a lot about QAnon, the rise of conspiracy theories in the age of COVID, and just generally the rise of extremism as a result of the internet. Are you excited, Steve? It was. I am excited. It was brilliant. Man, it blew my mind open. We definitely will have to have her back, don't you think? Oh, 100% we're going to have her back. Um I, I do think that our listeners are going to love it. A bit of a departure for us, which I love. It made me almost feel like a real journalist, Steve. Absolutely. <laughs> Would you like to be a journalist? I feel like you'd be a great journalist, Des. Investig- uh, investigative. Yeah, I mean, I guess in a way some of my documentaries were somewhat uh, course, yeah. somewhat journalistic. But before we, before we g- get into it, how are you? I'm good, brother. After um, apologies for not making it last week, but as you know, it was a stressful week. For my little family, but we got through it, and uh, we're all. Oh, that's happy. right. Well, you had a dislocated. Sh- oh, no, what was it again? A broken collarbone. Yeah, uh, a broken collarbone in in uh, in my three year old, and uh, she. <laughs> well, it was like unnecessarily stressful because. The fall happened, went to hospital. They sent her home saying that she's fine. But I wasn't allowed in because of COVID, which is fair enough. So the communication was definitely maybe not the best. And she came home and I, like, man, her fucking hand, her arm was just <laughs> hanging off. She couldn't move her. Um, so we had to go back in a second time. And sure enough, it was quite the break. It was quite a wow. significant snap. What did, like, what did, yeah, she, yeah. What did she do? Uh uh, she fell off uh, a, a kind of a, a high slide in, in the playground. It's about like six foot off the ground. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I wasn't there. It was our mother. <laughs> oh, nice. Play, that's, it's so great when it's not your fault. I mean, how satisfying um, is that? Oh, stop. Yeah, yeah. But she's actually healing up super quick. Bro, it's, it's, it's crazy how quick... Like, she only needs to wear this thing for two weeks, but because their bones are so much smaller than ours, they they heal a lot quicker. So she's already lifting her arm above her head again and stuff, So, but she, it's all good. And she started school last week, so her oh. first day of school was, like, in a sling. Her first day of preschool was in a sling, but she did it, man, so it's all good now. Wow, that's, 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 that's proper stressful. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was pretty stressful, but we're good. But how about you? Well, I'm not going to say how, but I... I saw Hannah. Amazing. So that was great. That took some stress. days. Oh, yeah. That took some stress off of me, man. Bro, it's not a real relationship until it goes on Instagram. It was like, it was, it was my best. You made my Sunday morning. I jumped out of bed. Eat us, look at this. <laughs> oh, that, I, that, that we had. The, that was actually, oh. the, th- those were the first, that collection of pictures, because it's not like we only took one. Of course, we took a number of them. Picked, the best, picked the best one. But <laughs> Of course. That, those were actually the first pictures that we had together. Other than when we first met, on our, literally on our first date, somebody like from a distance took a picture of us. You're joking. You got popped. 
yeah, by some random fan of Hannah's. So the only picture we had was like a distant photo of both of us not looking our best. Uh, Giggly ch- squad, huh? Chatting to yeah, chatting to each other from from the from the distance. So, but anyway, yeah, we saw each other. Went great. Hung out for hung out for a few days. And okay. uh, speaking of conspiracy theories, then for reasons which I also will not say, we had to take those photos down. You probably didn't notice because you saw it, but. Those, oh wow! Those, those photos are neither on neither of our Instagrams. Oh now. my god! Right. Yes. So, anyway, that's that's going well, and I'll be able. I'll be. We'll be back to our normal life on Saturday. So yes. Brilliant. Two, two days time. Jacuzzi, we, baby. Two days time, we'll be back to our normal life, which uh, which I can't wait for. And then the other big story in my life is I, I have a puppy for a week that I'm trying to socialize. I see that, yeah. So how's it going? It was very timid the first couple of days. Oh, I mean, it was it was like cowering in a corner for most of the first night, and now Poor thing. Now, so so for for our listeners that don't follow me on Instagram, uh, Southampton Animal Shelter called me with a very time sensitive situation, which is they have a puppy that was badly abused that needs to be socialized before it's too late, and that kind of, you know, the developmentally. The, the the damage from the abuse will sort of be locked in and they'll probably like have a fear of humans for life. Uh, so, you know, obviously some dogs end up with stranger danger uh, because they get abused or neglected and they're past that developmental stage where it can be fixed. So basically mm. they'll have stranger danger f- for life, you know, oh God. Uh, not unlike not unlike humans, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you get wounded as a child and then unfortunately that PTSD uh, yeah. affects There's your... No- Affects your emotional uh, well-being for life. There's no therapy for dogs, unfortunately. Unfortunately, there's no therapy for dogs. Uh, but anyway, so they said that basically it was about two weeks left to, to try to socialize this puppy. And they gave me the worst one. I don't know why they think I'm the fucking dog whisperer in Southampton <laughs> Animal Shelter. But again, I get the worst one. They thought that Flynn would be good for the dog, and uh, which has definitely been true, even though Flynn is definitely can be a little can bully the dog a little bit but the dog seems to love it the dog comes back for more when i take flynn for a walk and leave the dog in the house the dog just cries the whole time the dog is definitely like attached Aww. to flynn it's only been three and, a, three and a half days and like like the dog just needs flynn all the time however i will say that it's an amazing thing to watch a dog become more comfortable around humans but he still if you just walked up for like a pet he will run away but he's it's he's now gotten to the stage where if you're sitting down and you put down your hand, he will come and lick your hand. And last night he was even doing puppy like nibbling on my fingers, which of course you're not meant to encourage. But in this situation, I quite liked it because it's just yeah. he's just becoming a bit more of like a normal puppy. Yes, yeah. And it's just it's it's very it's it's very satisfying, satisfying slash heartwarming to watch uh, this puppy become comfortable. Amazing, amazing. Well, actually, I just thought of this because you were talking of the the puppy there but this is like a top secret one now between you me and the listeners right that um my two girls in the house have been dying to get a puppy for like a long time and i've said no but on the on the sly it's okay because they don't listen to the podcast and if you know know, my girlfriend don't tell her yeah and you've also mentioned this before so have have i sorry yes no no but we're aware how far along are you Nowhere, because it's like impossible in the pandemic. Everybody's been getting fucking puppies, so no, no, the dogs trust haven't had anything for three months. Haven't had any puppies for three months. So I've started calling around vets. So they have my name and number, and if anything comes up, they'll give me a call. But if there's anybody out there who thinks there's a dog that would be suitable for a three-year-old, like you know, a puppy, 
spaniel or something or um, medium sized dog, not not a German Shepherd, because <laughs> we rescue. don't have a garden. You need a rescue, man. Yeah, a rescue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got a ninety pound pit. I, I got a ninety pound pit that. <laughs> Aiden's going back on Sunday. You want him to bring Flynn, bring you back, Flynn? <laughs> Always oh, is he? He's coming back. Is he? Is, have you guys decided what you're going to do with Flynn? Are you going to bring him to Ireland or no? This is a, this no. is a, a big issue in my. It's a, actually a major stress in my life. God no, damn it! Yeah. This no, is no, no. He, he has not been away. Fuck he it, has man. to get it. You know, Flynn has to get adopted. Like, but um, Flynn is not a Flynn is Flynn. The amount of organization that Flynn would bring into your life when you're a traveling comedian is 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 beyond. So mm. Flynn needs to be adopted. Like I am, mm. I am a foster dad. I am not an adopter of ninety pound pits. You know, if this was another time in my life, I would be keeping Flynn. But no, Flynn needs to be adopted. And and like, yeah. I don't, I don't feel bad about that because like, it, it's, it, I, I, I do not have the ability to keep Flynn long term. You know, mm. so, uh, so hopefully he'll be adopted soon. The shelter, the shelter are on it. But without Flynn, I wouldn't have been able to do this for the dog. And the thing is that like. You know, Portia got adopted and she has such a great life. Sometimes people think that there's like, it's like um, an emotional thing for the dog to be separated from you and that that in itself is like another level of abuse for these neglected dogs. But that that isn't the case. These dogs go on to have like amazing, happy lives. They're very adaptable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know we haven't, we haven't had a conversation with the dogs about <laughs> how they felt, how, how they felt feel? when they, you know? when they left their foster daddy. But uh, no, no, Just no. Treated me like a piece of meat, Dave. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The shelter, the shelter are, are are working hard for it. But no, like the minute you get back into like like a mobile life, like a ninety pound pit bull is not the dog. No, uh, for my life. I mean, I I wasn't looking to have a dog full time. Really, you know, it was very much a a pandemic thing, and I'm happy to have provided the service. Uh, so um, yeah. So anyway. I have the puppy for a week. I do. I am actually allergic to this puppy's hair. I had a full breakout of a rash last night. No way! Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. The, the puppy hair. It's that. It's yeah. kind of yeah. But uh, whatever. I took. I took a Benadryl, which is actually why I was a, a little late starting this morning. Because for the listener, we started that interview at seven ten a.m. Um, seven ten a.m. Uh, New York time, and uh, I am. I am a little. A little foggy because I took a Benadryl last night. Uh, which did work. It did lower the rash, but yeah, I'm having a breakout. I've, I, I've sacrificed my own health and all my furniture for these dogs th- throughout the, dogs the p- and for the listeners <laughs> throughout the throughout the pandemic. I've like I have a I have a wicker coffee table that's now almost completely chewed up. I have a couch that needs to be replaced. I have <laughs> chew marks on the bottom legs of 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 everything. But I don't and that care. Was just Aiden, I'll put Aiden. I keep doing. Yeah, Aiden. <laughs> Aiden's Aiden's going through a lot of stress. No. So anyway, Steve, let's uh, let's let's get chatting to uh, Aoife, and we'll we'll talk to everybody at the end of the app. And uh, you're gonna enjoy this one, guys. So we have we have Aoife Gallagher here. I how are you, Aoife? I'm good. How are you? I Steve. I almost feel like this is like we're trying to be like a real radio show here. I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've got a e- special guest in. Yeah, we've done the research, etc. Aoife, Aoife, Aoife contacted me on Instagram after Joanne had mentioned that she wanted to talk about conspiracy theories, and uh, and then she contacted you, and here you are, Aoife. You're here. You're here to to fill our life up about conspiracy theories. Yeah, I'm here to scare the crap out of you more more <laughs> so than you already are. <laughs> but in fairness, you're not just some like you're you're not just some internet person that like likes to Google conspiracy theories. So. Uh, can you explain exactly what you're, how you're involved in researching this? 
Yeah, so I was a journalist kind of before I took on this new role. So at the moment, I am working for a nonprofit think tank called the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. And kind of the, the, the whole aim of the, the think tank is to tackle issues around extremism and polarization and kind of disinformation on like on a kind of broad scale. And I work on the digital research team. So all my work is online. So I essentially look at the worst parts of the Internet for a living. <laughs> And, you know, you know, the parts that can lead to violence and radicalization and try and understand them, try and understand how they, how people use, you know, social media platforms to spread this kind of stuff. And then try and think of ways to either get rid of this stuff, which is rarely an option, or to at least, you know, make it less available to the general public. Um, so a lot of what I look at would be far right extremism, a lot of neo-Nazi, white supremacy, all those lovely lads. And then uh, a lot of disinformation campaigns and conspiracy theories. So. Right. And, and I mean, we can focus on conspiracy theories for a while, but also I do want to talk about that broader discussion of radicalization because I did listen to Rabbit Hole, mm, uh, that yeah. New, York, New York Times thing, and it was pretty fascinating just how easy it is for people to get sucked in. By the way, just a quick question out of the blue. Is this more of a male phenomenon or are, 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 are you finding it's, it's, it's equal for both genders in terms of this radicalization online? Um, it's hard to tell. So when, like, honestly, when you're looking at like online conversations, it is very hard to kind of pull data for demographics. Um, but if you're looking like just from, from just looking online, I suppose, and looking at these conversations, it's definitely shifted actually quite a bit since the, the pandemic. And like, we can probably talk a bit more about this later, but you know, QAnon has definitely been something that's drawn more women into conspiracy theories, I think. Right. Um, and yeah, you would kind of think that it's more kind of appealing to men, but I think at this stage, no, that no one is safe from this, to be honest, it's, it can kind of affect anyone. Steve, let's, let's quiz you. Cause I, I wouldn't be able to answer this properly, but when you hear QAnon, before we find out what it actually is, what do you think when you think about QAnon? I, I honestly have not didn't research before this and haven't heard of it. So QAnon sounds like to me, um, like Tesla's sister company to make electric cars or something. <laughs> 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 oh, if only. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I have no idea, but I'm fascinated. I mean, we'll, we'll go into it later on, but I'm fascinated by. The, the whole influencing of, for example, elections and stuff like that and how mm -hmm. that has worked. I'm a big fan of that show, The Great Hack on Netflix and how all that work at Cambridge Analytica, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating world that you work in. Uh, can I just ask, are you guys, the type of thing that you're working for, the nonprofit, is that a new venture in recent times that has come out to combat this kind of the, the world, the dark world that's out there? Um, so I'm not gonna lie, I've been working for ISD for three months, so I'm not overly up on the history, but I know that, no, I know that they've been looking at this for a longer time than a lot of people have. So like pre 2016, and right. the, the, the think tank has definitely been around since like well before that as well. Um, but the online focus is something that I think ISD were very much on top of before a lot of other people were, which is great. Right, so, wow. so, so what is, what is QAnon then just to get going? Okay, yeah, let's start with the, the heavy stuff then. So QAnon is what I've, I've started describing it as a digital cult. So it kind of involves a, a massive tangle of loads of different conspiracy theories. And they kind of all come together under this one idea that Donald Trump is secretly waging a war against a group of elites. And these consist of, you know, Democratic politicians, liberal Hollywood celebrities and, you know, certain philanthropists like Bill Gates and George Soros. And according to people that 
follow QAnon, these people are involved in, well, they're responsible for everything that goes, that's bad in the world, but they're also involved in everything from paedophilia and child trafficking to cannibalism and Satanism. So we're talking about people like Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and then, you know, Hollywood celebrities get lumped into this as well. People like Tom Hanks, Chrissy Teigen. Has Clo- been Shirley Clooney. By- Shirley Clooney is a cannibal. I wonder, actually. I don't know if I've seen much about Clooney. Yeah, <laughs> he seems to have escaped it. Um, Surely then- not just an espresso. That's a cover. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so QAnon pretty much started. It started nearly three years ago on um, in an image board on the fringes of the internet called 4chan. I don't know if you've heard of 4chan. I've heard so, of 4chan, but always in relation to, always in stories in relation to what we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. So Steve, you look like you haven't heard of 4chan. No, so for no. anyone that, that hasn't heard of it, it's, it's, uh, it's not the dark web. It is, you know, almost the dark web pretty much. And it's a place where, you know, neo-Nazis hang out, white supremacists hang out and online trolls pretty much like, and they all just come together and, you know, you know, there's a term that's called shit posting, which is pretty much just like trying to stir up some kind of outrage on social media. And this is where a lot of 4chan is where a lot of this kind of starts off. It's a horrible, horrible place. And I look at it every day. But um, wow. so, so QAnon was started here. And also, sorry, the big part about 4chan is that everyone posts on 4chan anonymously. So you do not know who is saying what. So it started in 2017. A person posted on 4chan, claimed to have high level you know, security clearance within the Trump administration and said that they had secret information um, about, you know, Trump's secret war against these elite, you know, child traffickers and pedophiles. And pretty much for the past three years, this person or people, and we can get into that conversation as well after a while, um, has been, you know, dropping clues. They're called Q drops. Um, It started on 4chan and went to like a very similar website called 8chan, which was then rebranded into 8kun. So he now posts these things on 8kun. They're all the exact kind of same idea. They're they're all these like anonymous um, message boards. Um, And over the past three years, this person has dropped over 4,000, you know, Q drops. Q Q drops. That's great. I didn't didn't even know that that was a thing. (laughs) And so what followers of QAnon do is, and these, these Q drops are... They're riddles and they're cl- there's little clues in them and codes and things like that. It's not like he's saying things like, you know, Donald, you know, it's not, there's no direct kind of messaging in them. So QAnon followers decode these messages and try and figure out what Q is telling them. So it's almost like a bit of a game. You know what I mean? It's like this person within the Trump administration is giving us this secret information about this secret thing that's going on that no one really knows about. Um and it's pretty much just because there's so many ways that you can kind of decode these these clues, there are, it's just, just imagine a spider web. There's just so many mm-hmm. different kind of angles that you can take in it. Um, and it pretty much involves a lot of, you know, people like p- people who follow conspiracy theories tend to think that there's no such thing as coincidences. So, um, so for example, they think that anyone that was on Jeffrey Epstein's plane is also a pedophile and also a child trafficker. You know what I mean? So they, they don't just think that maybe they traveled on the plane at some stage. And how, um, I, I, so I, I know that's just a random example, but how do they uh, make peace with the fact that if Donald Trump is re- waging this war, he seems to have quite a lot of interactions with Jeffrey Epstein and seems to stick up for Ghislaine Maxwell. Just uh, how, do they, how yeah. do they marry those two things and, and, and stay sane? Well, the thing that they are very good at doing is rationalizing things in a way that, that, that you know, that makes sense to them pretty much. So, yeah, for example, I mean, the, the flight logs, Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs, um, there are real flight logs, there are fake flight logs. The real flight logs have people like Bill Clinton on them 
and, you know, Donald Trump. And in QAnon world, Bill Clinton is as guilty as Jeffrey Epstein. Donald Trump is not as guilty. And they kind of, I mean, I think maybe Donald Trump came out like after Epstein was arrested and said like, oh, I haven't talked to him in 15 years or something like that. And, you know, they use like that, that one quote instead of, instead of, you know, the quotes that he gave 25 years ago where he said that they were great friends and, you know, Donald Trump was a big fan of Jeffrey Epstein's love for young girls. You know, they kind of, they ignore what they, what they don't want to, to, um, to believe, I suppose. And then, yeah, and then you have the, the fake flight, flight logs that have listed, they have these lists of um, Hollywood celebrities. So people like Tom Hanks and, as I say, Chrissy Teigen, Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah Winfrey. And, you know, these are, you know, Chrissy Teigen has been so badly harassed by QAnon followers that I think it's getting to the point that I read something the other day that she's just thinking of coming off the internet because wow. it's just been awful for her. Yeah. So how, how does something as random as this like these these Q drops from an anonymous person become so mainstream so fast that you can't see a Trump rally without Q stuff, and you know mm-hmm. like like sorry which and also which groups kind of came together to give this almost a sense that it's real. Um, I suppose like how it becomes mainstream. I mean, this has been something that's been growing. Like we recently did a report on ISD just looking at the growth of QAnon since its inception, like back back in 2017 and looking at the growth of the conversation online. And what we saw was that it kind of increased fairly steadily over the past like two and a half years. And then it got to March this year and it just went, it skyrocketed. It absolutely skyrocketed in the middle of the pandemic. And at the time that the, the lockdowns were pretty much happening. And, you know, this is true for a lot of conspiracy theories, as we're seeing. It's not really just QAnon. But what we've seen is that, you know, the core belief of QAnon, this kind of belief that Donald Trump is, you know, secretly waging a war, it's still a big part of it. But what QAnon has become is like a vehicle for loads of different kind of conspiracy theories and disinformation campaigns. So what you find is that if if a person believes in one conspiracy theory, they're more than likely going to believe in more than one. So QAnon has now become... You know, people people that believe in QAnon now believe that things like the you know five G is is the the real virus or five G is actually killing us or yes. you know all the different conspiracies about five G you know conspiracies about anti vaccines and you know conspiracies about COVID. So you know what we've kind of seen over the past six months is just this growth in conspiracy theories in general, and QAnon has been a big part of that. Um, like the groups that were pushing this at the start, like there is there's a lot of um, there's been, you know, a bit of research done into the, the very start of QAnon. And, you know, it, it's funny because there's there's so much evidence out there that says that Q is not who he says he is and that the person posting his Q has changed a lot over the years. And there are people that have come out and said, you know, admitted that they were the people that started it and that they started it literally as a, a shit posting exercise just to try and rile people up or to try and, you know, to, just to try and get things going, really. Mm. And, um but it doesn't matter. Like Q- QAnon followers don't really care that's um, about this. They yes. just kind of care that that Q has exposed them to the truth, and now they know what's really going on and things like that. So at the start, there was kind of a, a number of um, you know moderators on the 4chan messaging board, and they teamed up with a couple of kind of small time you know right wing conservative YouTubers, and they kind of started pushing this out and kind of started developing the whole thing of you know the, the deciphering the Q drops and all the rest and then they pushed this out to their audience and they ended up making a crap load of money out of it right I mean right. these people are still making loads of money out of it so there's there's kind of you know a number of different motivations behind it but I would say at this stage a lot of it is for money because it ser- it's a it's a lucrative business 
Right. So that's certainly one of the motivations behind, like, for example, the big YouTubers and stuff like that to generate money. But in your research, have you found any evidence that, for example, companies like a Cambridge Analytica who are able to influence elections and stuff like that, is there any suspicions that those types of companies or those kind of hired hands are actually the ones that are promoting or generating the content for QAnon? Um, no, I haven't seen anything like that really specifically. Um, I kind of, you know, I would definitely say that it's at the point that, you know, people are definitely going to be taken advantage of the QAnon community because of the fact that they are massive Trump supporters. And that is like a, a, a core, you know, it's almost a core voting group for him now, which is crazy. So, you like we haven't exactly seen any evidence of this but i would also imagine that qanon has a life of its own and it actually doesn't really need any of that foreign interference anymore it's just it's just you know it, it, it pretty much just produces the conspiracy theory yeah. itself you know what i mean yeah. um now like you know talking about the you know the cambridge analytica kind of side of things i mean there's you know that kind of stuff is definitely still going on like of very course, very yeah. much so like i was we're looking at um and this is kind of off the topic of conspiracies but i'll just touch on it i suppose we're looking at a at the way that you know facebook ads can like micro target people and um in the context of the us election and i was listening to an npr segment the other day about a right-wing uh, Christian conservative group in the States that are micro-targeting voters when they're in their local churches, right? And like micro-targeting with political ads, you know, when they're in their, their local churches. And, you know, when people were kind of told about this, you know, they were, everyone, you know, I think everyone feels very uncomfortable when they're on their phone or they, they have a conversation and then they pick up their phone and there's a, an ad there for what they were talking about. Do you know what I mean? I think that everyone feels uncomfortable when that happens. And if you know that they can micro-target people to, you know, a very, very specific location within their community, you know, at the, you know, the, the example of micro-targeting at churches is maybe not a, a massive deal, but, you know, they can micro-target people you know, in very vulnerable situations at abortion clinics, for example. Yes, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. So like that, yeah. you know, that power is, you know, it is, it's very dangerous. And I really don't think it should be allowed at all. Well, listen, the reality is that the biggest mistake you made was you were listening to NPR, which we all know <laughs> is literally the mouthpiece for the Satanist pedophiles. That, that, that is where they get their, their sick message out. QAnon yeah. followers know that. Yeah. I'm one of them as well, in case you haven't guessed, you know. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I was reading the other day. So there's obviously like the, this coincides with the rise of the far right. And I was reading the other day that even the German uh, neo-Nazis have kind of taken on Trump as their sort of their sort of father figure. So yeah. have you guys been taken by surprise at how quickly uh, Trump has come, become almost like the world's dictator for all these uh people that lean towards conspiracy theories um i suppose i've been a little bit shocked by it but i mean they kind of you know conspiracy theories and the far right kind of they they go by the same narratives you know the far right is constantly you know promoting a real blanket distrust in anyone in the media or or in the mainstream media and you know anyone in government and anyone in like globalist institutions so because the, and, and conspiracy theories do the same thing right so you know what we're seeing now is that and this has been happening for a while but it's really kind of becoming more obvious now is that far-right groups are weaponizing conspiracy theories i suppose and using them to um spread their messaging or to bring people into their fold And i mean we're seeing this in ireland you know what i mean those the, the protests that have been organized by 
um, in Ireland are being organized by far right figureheads and being organized by really extreme anti-government and anti-establishment groups. Um, and, you know, again, you're seeing that in Berlin. I mean, the, the march in Berlin last week was was crazy. There was everyone there from there was Hare Krishna groups there and there were neo-Nazis there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just insane how much. And that's what I mean about not really being able to define who is into these conspiracy theories, because it's just becoming, you know, so ubiquitous, really. Yeah. So when you're yeah. when you were looking at the Irish protests, um, whatever it was, two weeks ago, Gemma Darty, and but I did notice there was a lot of Q signs, and then there's there was uh, you know like yeah these pedophile signs. So the the sort of anti mask freedom thing mm. becomes part of that straight away too, right? Yeah. So it's all about um, you know this idea that governments want to control us. You know what I mean? And, the, and the, the idea that there is a small number of people that want to control the population of any country. And, you know, the far right really use that as a fear mongering tool. And they've started spreading the idea that, you know, that I remember when the whole mask debate started. I was so confused by it. I was just like, why are people, you know, going so crazy about wearing masks? And what it is, is that they've been fed this information that masks are a muzzle. And that they are, you know, the first step in, a, in an apparent grand plan by the government to, you know, introduce mandatory vaccinations. And these, you know, vaccinations, you know, according to people that believe these conspiracy theories, they either have, they either are there to depopulate the world and to, to kill us all for some reason. I don't really know why. Or they are there to implant tracking devices in us and i mean you know as i was just saying anyone that has a smartphone is very much being tracked in that way anyway so i mean that ship has sailed a long time ago um so yeah the idea of yeah it's all about fear-mongering about government control and a lot of these conspiracy theories are all kind of you know they all kind of touch on that pretty much and that seems to be the core the core belief of them um and then like you know talking about covid as well that um you know, you really have to think that like, you know, we're six months into this or more and we really still don't have any, you know, definitive answers about how the virus affects people in different ways and, you know, and things like that. And we've been given a lot of conflicting information about masks, for example. I mean, the the, the messaging about masks at the start of the pandemic is, was completely different than what it is mm, now. Yes, yes. And those kind of contradictory pieces of information or the lack of information we have, all, you know, it's just creating a void and a vacuum. And that has been filled by conspiracy theories. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, in some ways I, I kind of get it, you know what I mean? There's, there, you know, we're going through a period, people's lives have been turned completely upside down. A lot of people have. And, you know, people have lost their jobs and their livelihoods and they've lost a lot of control, lost a lot of basic control about their lives. And what conspiracy theories do is they give people back a sense of control by giving them, you know, often really oversimplistic answers to very, very complicated, you know, situations, I suppose. Yeah, as if as if the Irish government is in cahoots trying to control society. As if mm. Willie, Willie O'Dea's grand plan has always been, "I'll fix the roads, <laughs> I'll yeah. fix the roads in in the suburbs of Limerick, so that I could get control over the world and put uh, I'll fluoride, I'll fluoridate all these lunatics, and one day it'll just be it'll just be us politicians running the world." Yeah, is that? I mean, is it, that? It, sorry. Sorry, what? No, I was going to say. I mean, it is laughable when you think when you look at how the Irish government, the new Irish government, has handled this. Um, you know, it is kind of laughable to think that they have some kind of a major plan in place because I don't think that they would be able no, for it. Yeah, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> what were you going to say, Steve? I was going to ask: Is that part of the problem with the conspiracy theories that there is like a tiny, tiny element of truth, but then where mm. they take it to is not there? Because I mean, 
you know, the stuff that Ed Snowden, for example, uncovered about what the US government was watching and listening to people via the smartphone mm-hmm. and all that. So there is an element of truth in that, and they were doing things that they weren't supposed to do. But mm-hmm. then it's that they created into another thing that is not true. Like, do you know what their end game is? What do they what do they want to um gain by by their theories? Where do they want to go to? Like, I don't know. I don't know if there's an end game. I think it's all about <sighs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, people like to think that they know things that other people don't. Yeah. And it gives them, I suppose, a sense of, of, you know, maybe not power, but a sense of, you know, yeah, again, just knowing things that other people don't. I don't know if there's like a grand you know, idea here behind like where this is all going. Um, I do think that there is a a serious danger to this kind of entire movement. And, you know, we've even seen that going back to QAnon, you know, there's been over a dozen or so incidents in the States in the past couple of years where, you know, acts of violence have been, you know, related to people's beliefs in QAnon. So, I mean, a woman drove to New York in April with a load of knives in her car and a plan to kill Joe Biden because she had watched a QAnon documentary. Now, she also had mental health issues. But this is the thing. I was like, you know, conspiracies appeal to vulnerable people. The amount of vulnerable people in society now has, you know, increased dramatically since COVID. And then if you couple that with someone that might have mental health issues or an underlying mental health issue, you know, it really can spiral very quickly to someone doing something dangerous. Mm. So... The fact that now this woman in Georgia is like a QAnon follower and she's uh, she's the Republican nominee for, uh, I believe, for the Senate, right? Is it the Senate or the Congress? I think it's, I think it's Congress. I think it's Georgia Congress. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, like the, the even the fact that Trump is, is three and a half, you know, nearly four years into his job and he can still constantly just throw out outlandish comments and remain in power and not have the establishment completely turn on him is the worry that, similar to these YouTubers and all these people making money, is the worry that the, the benefit of getting these lunatics on your side is, is going to uh, allow this to become mainstream. Like, are you uh, is the concern that this is going to become uh, endemic in mainstream discourse and possibly cause major problems. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument to be made that it's already mainstream discourse. I mean, when you're talking, like there's, at last count, I think there's over 70 people running for various kinds of political office in the States this year that have, you know, espoused some kind of support for QAnon. Like, that's an awful lot of people that are running for office. And, you know, yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia is 
you know, what the, the one that's been used as an example of now, because she, you know, up until very recently had said that she very, very much supported QAnon. Now she's kind of backtracking on that a little bit. Um, but the fact that, you know, Trump chose to tweet a, congratula- a congratulatory message at her and say that she was, you know, I think he said something like she's a rising star in the Republican Party. You know, it just, it shows that he's really, he's feeding into this. Do you know what I mean? He knows exactly what he's doing. And he was asked at a press conference, you know, a couple of weeks ago about QAnon and he gave, you know, a very Trump-like answer you know what I mean he was kind of like oh I don't know much about it and you know I, I know that they're very good people and that they they like me you know and that was his answer and you know you know when he was you know pressed then by the reporter to be like well you do know that they think that you're waging a secret war against you know an elite group of satanic pedophiles and he was like well is that a bad thing you know what I mean so he has like the ultimate answer to everything and you know I was watching that and I was kind of like, oh my God, no, like because QAnon followers have been waiting for the moment that Trump, you know, acknowledges them in some way. They've been waiting for this for years. And that was, honestly, it was, it was kind of the perfect answer. He pretty much called them patriots and said that, you know, that what he's doing is good. So why, why is there an issue with this? And, you know, with completely disregarding the fact that the FBI have labeled QAnon as a potential domestic terror threat. (laughs) Mm. So with the you talked at the beginning about the the deepening of the divide and polarization all that kind of stuff in contrast is there a how would you put it a something like that for the left is there like a QAnon for the left (laughs) or is that or 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 is the problem that the left have nothing going on that it's very hard to fight this or is this thing completely impossible to fight with common sense it used to be their Uh, thing it used to be their thing right yeah the loony leftists yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I remember going to see Jello Biafra at Vicker Street like years ago. He was a former, you know, lead singer of the Dead Kennedys. And he was like spouting all these conspiracy theories, which I was just fucking eating up yeah, like a young fucking socialist. And I was just like, really? There was there was the challenger was like part of a conspiracy theory about uh, transport transporting uranium. Like I was just eating it up. Yeah. I was like, I'll fully admit, like, have you watched Zeitgeist? Did you ever watch Zeitgeist? No. No. no, so Zeitgeist is kind of like uh, one of these kind of famous-ish conspiracy theory documentaries. I think it came out in like the early 2000s. And it's pretty much divided into three segments. The first part is about religion. And it's actually rather interesting. You know, I have quite a few thoughts about religion anyway. So it was kind of, you know, how the how religion had rose through the ages to become what it became. The second part was about 9-11. And the third part is about the monetary system. So I remember watching this like maybe about 10 years ago and thinking oh my god this is crazy like how do people not know this and all the rest and kind of forgot about it and then I decided to watch it last year because I was so interested to know what my reaction would be um, when I watched it again and I put on the 9-11 part and the first voice that I heard was Alex Jones now I wouldn't have recognized Alex Jones's voice 10 years ago but now you know for anyone that doesn't know Alex Jones he's the InfoWars guy who you know most famously probably um, pushed the theory that the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre was a false flag, as they call it, and that all, you know, the, you know, the people that died there were crisis actors. You know, he's a, you know, really disgusting conspiracy theorist. So, um, you know, I think that conspiracy theories appeal to people along, you know, on both sides of the ideological lines. And what we really are seeing now more than ever is that things like QAnon, they definitely appeal to like that kind of, super lefty, anti-establishment, um, maybe not socialist stuff as, as such, but kind of, you know, very lefty, anti-establishment kind of um, group of people as well. Is that so, leaning more towards a communist ideology or like that far or? 
Just um, I don't really know if it's that far as such. But I mean, just this idea and kind of anti-capitalist, you know mm. what I mean? This idea that, you know, a small number of rich people are controlling everything, I suppose. Mm. Um, so it definitely appeals along ideological lines. I mean, the solution to this, I don't know. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me awake at night, to be honest. I'm kind of like, I don't really know how, how you counter this because, you know, the thing that really worries me the most is that, you know, these conspiracy theories really put forward this idea that you cannot believe expert opinion and that you can't believe scientific opinion mm. and that you can't believe the media. Now, I have, you know, a love for the media. I was a journalist before I did this. And I mean, I would never give the media, you know, a blanket, oh, yes, they're all brilliant. You know what I mean? The media mm. has, has serious issues as well that, that they have to tackle. And they're very, very much behind the curve when they're when trying to kind of um, to, to talk about this, this whole movement, I suppose. But you can't use the media to um, to tell people that the, that the conspiracies that they believe are lies, you know what I mean? Because they just believe that that's all part of a secret plan. Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, I'm kind of, I don't really know what the solution is at this stage, but I hope that, you know, someone will come up with a good idea soon. Well, well let me ask you this then, because Alex Jones, uh, it, like to me, he's very dangerous. And I'm not a big Joe Rogan listener, but at the same time, I I believe in the power of the Joe Rogan podcast. And I know that part of his success, I feel, is the fact that he has almost become like the quote unquote mainstream voice of that internet generation that believes that the old media is, you know, out of touch for them. So how do you feel about somebody like Joe Rogan constantly giving Alex Jones a voice and then pretending that he challenges him every now and then, whereas just his sole presence on the Joe Rogan podcast, you know, makes it seem like he has valid points. Even though I know Joe Rogan is just tapping into that incredible number of people that will flow to the podcast, you know, just being like, these Alex Jones bits are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, honestly, I don't listen to Joe Rogan. Like, I probably should because I know that he is like one of these real, like, pivotal people in that movement. Um, and I mean, I kind of appreciate the fact without actually listening to what he, what he says, I do appreciate the fact that he does you know, interview people very much on both sides of the spectrum. You know, he'll interview Bernie Sanders and then he'll interview Alex Jones, you know what I mean? Um, and I think the the idea of amplifying extremist voices is something that, I mean, that this is a reason why the media are kind of a bit behind in reporting on this, because the media will always be like, well, should we be amplifying this? Should we be giving, you know, a voice to someone that, you know, lives in the fringes of the internet? Um, should we be be putting them on a mainstream platform? And that's something that, you know, a lot of media battles with, I think, all the time anyway. Um, but I think it's kind of past the point now of ignoring it as well. Um, I, I, I will get, listen, give a listen to, to Joe Rogan's interviews with, with Alex Jones just to see what they're like, I suppose. Um, but I mean, you know, outrage sells, you know what I mean? And that's what Alex Jones, his whole business model is on creating outrage. And if Joe Rogan can get a slice of that pie by taking Alex Jones on a show, you know, capitalism, you know? It's, it's, but it's also the, the culture of, like, you know, the internet uh, rewards outrage. That's how it's designed. That's how the algorithms for social media are designed. It's he that mm. shouts the loudest, yeah. gets the most clicks, gets the most likes. So it's not about discourse or conversation and things like that. But do you think that, like, as a, as a former journalist looking at the media then, how do you think the media has I, I know you said that they're behind but there's also the element that you know every media has its own ideology of which it's you know spouting off from as well do you think that the media can actually change the way it is or are they part of the problem 
No, I don't think they're part of the problem. I mean, I think that the media in the past 20 years have just been, I mean, the media has been slashed and the things that have that have been cut, you know, the fastest from a lot of media companies are sub-editors that, you know, check for mistakes and, and fact-check things and investigative reporters, long-form long investigative reporters. And again, there's a void there. There's a lot of things that, that journalists are just not able to cover. Journalists are so overworked. Like, it's, it's an insane job. It really, really is, like, trying to keep up with everything that's going on and producing content at such a, a rapid rate to keep up with the online world as well and having to keep that level of your of content you know to you know to a certain standard I suppose as well so I do think that you know if if there was some kind of a you know a rethink for how to make the media a lucrative business again and how to make it something that actually makes money and if there was resources pumped into the media yes I think that there is a good chance that the, that they would be able to, to really fight back against this um but what we're seeing at the moment is just you know and especially again during the pandemic i mean there's hundreds of journalists that have lost their jobs in the middle of the pandemic mm -hmm. and it's just it makes me really sad i'm just like god i mean how are we ever going to fight back against something like this if you don't have those people that have the the skills i suppose to be able to critically look at the at this entire movement and report on it accurately but it's so you get a job for queuing on <laughs> yeah but it's so expensive like like to do it right to do it right it's so expensive and the results mm -hmm the results are so much less than the people who are doing it wrong so you, you know they're not fact checking stories they're you know they're they're not curating uh like fair stories they're just pushing this nonsense nonstop and the rewards are immediate and they're they're substantial so yeah. what what happens is you have to pump all these resources into something that's going to give you very little reward so actually the the whole energy is pushing towards the madness as opposed to the calmness yeah, exactly. And social media, as I say, it's driven by outrage. It's driven by lies. It's driven by rumors. It's not driven by, you know, fact and truth and integrity. And um, like, I don't really know, that could just be human nature. And that could just be because, you know, humans are more drawn to things like that. But I also think that, you know, the algorithms involved in social media platforms are a massive issue. I mean, you know, Facebook have said multiple times, oh, we've stopped, you know, putting QAnon groups in our, in our, recommend, in our recommended lists, you know what I mean? So people will stop being recommended QAnon groups. But I mean, there's still reports coming out that people are, con I'm still constantly being, being recommended QAnon groups, you know? Mm. So like, and, as and much that's, all, as that's also not the issue either and they know that it's the way that they're designed it's the way that those platforms are designed to addict yeah. you they're like there's a reason why you know steve jobs wouldn't let his kid on an ipad do you know what i mean there's a reason yeah. they know yeah. they know how this shit works you know they, so it's not yeah. it's not whether oh we've taken this down no it's it's the whole f infrastructure of your of your social media thing that's the problem yeah definitely and i mean i think that this is really something that's that's only become a massive issue in the past maybe five five to ten years like i mean before like because i mean the the platforms weren't built around algorithms at the start you know what i mean you went onto your feed you scrolled through it until you came to the end pretty much and that was it you know what i mean and they did build them now so that you can just continuously scroll like i mean i don't know if you've ever used tiktok like tiktok is like a drug all you yeah, need to do is just scroll scroll want next 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 and it's just like you can just you can sit there for hours on it and it's just like this constant source of like 10 second entertainment um so i mean i think that in the past 20 years no in the past 10 years really the way that we consume information has completely changed 
completely changed. And we need to really think about that. And we need to think about what is the best way now that our attention spans, you know, last for about three minutes. Like we really need to, you know, and that's what you're saying as well, Des, is that, you know, you know, long form investigative pieces that, you know, take people a day and a half to read. You know, they, they don't really, it doesn't really hold true with the, with the way society's going at, the, at this stage. So as I say, there just needs to be a really, a really big rethink really on how to kind of tackle this issue. Okay. So not many people look to ISIS for hope. But may I may I propose a bit of hope that I mean, ISIS, in a way, used all these methods that we're talking about to radicalize people enough that they were able to create a caliphate for a period of time that some of the strongest military might had to be used to put them down. But, you know. ISIS was like the end of the world three or four years ago, and actually you don't hear much about them now. Now, I know they're possibly reorganizing, but the truth is that is there a bit of hope that uh, eventually people move on to the next thing and that it, it may not ever get organized enough that these people are going to be able to create real problems in society? Um, I kind of, t- I've, I've, you know, I used to be an optimist. I think I've changed definitely <laughs> in the past while this year has just kind of really gotten to me. And I think a lot of this is really going to be determined. Like, you know, we need to realize that American politics and American culture very, very much affects the rest of the world. Um, if you had said to me two years ago that there would be a massive QAnon following in Ireland, I would have been like, no, like not a chance. You know what I mean? And now there is, you know what I mean? And we really need to realize that what happens in the States has a massive effect on the world. So I think if, you know, depending on, you know, how this election goes and, you know, if if Trump wins or loses and if he decides to try and challenge the vote and things like that, you know, we really, I think it'll all kind of be determined really from that. Um, So, I mean, like I am hopeful. Like I, I, you know, I am hopeful that the good will always win. I suppose against against the the evil parts of life. But we'll wait and see. You can talk to me in six months' time. And we'll see what uh, what what <laughs> happens. the again. action. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, well, let's let's finish off by talking about fucking Gemma Darty and these lunatics in Ireland. Let's let's Irish it up for a sec. Like I feel guilty because you know Gemma Darty, uh, uh, you know whatever she she hates Dennis O'Brien. So I like before I knew that she was out of her mind, I it actually made sense to me that she got sidelined out of independent media because, you know, Dennis O'Brien doesn't like anybody that challenges them. And then she made this documentary about a potential like, you know, p- political slash Garda conspiracy up in Donegal, which actually when you watch it, it's like it's pretty it's pretty intriguing. And it is. I, I'm from I, Donegal and I I know that case and I watched it at the time and I was kinda like, This is very interesting. Anyway, go on. Sorry. I know, but I did like I got got sucked in and I actually retweeted it and then I had a phone conversation with her and I didn't want to have any real interactions with her but at the same time like I did not know that she was out of her mind and the Mm -hmm. fact that she is now sort of front and center at this you know anti you know COVID taking away our freedom stuff and now she's teamed up with Jim Corr and John Waters and you know all these people that have just gone further and further into that like what what are Irish people not seeing like what are what, what do they need to know because if QAnon wasn't a thing three years ago and now it's as big as it is, do we need to not completely dismiss? Because, you know, Gemma Darty, you know, she ends up trending on Twitter all the time. And I think everyone thinks she's just a, just a, a kook. But like, do, do, do we need to worry that these people will start to get real power? And then some people in Fianna Fáil will like, I, I mean, I already think the Healy Rays try to tap into this energy. Mm, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a, a populist kind of a, a, a way to approach things, I suppose. I mean, Gemma O'Doherty is an enigma, to be honest. I think that anyone, whoever gets the the story about Gemma O'Doherty is just going to be a, a legend, really. She 
like you know and I do feel sorry for her in, in, in quite a lot of ways because I think it's getting more obvious now that she probably has some kind of mental health issues yes um and that you know you know I have it's funny actually because this movement in Ireland is kind of splintered in a lot of ways so like Gemma O'Doherty is very very much anti-media and she you know you see her she's been banned off Twitter actually in the past month or so but you still see accounts that are very much linked to her that spread things like RTE is a virus and they march to RTE once a week and try and you know say that RTE is just making up everything about COVID and scaremongering people and trying to make people really afraid and all the rest and then you have kind of the other side of it which is kind of the the national party Justin Barrett, Justin Barrett movement, crew. yeah, who are very, very much um, very open about the fact that they say Ireland is for the Irish and we want to get rid of anyone who is not an ethnic Irish person out of this country. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's just, you know. That's me, that's, gone. <laughs> and, um, and then you have another kind of group uh, led, and- by a, uh, led by a fellow from Donegal who uh, I'm, ashamed, well, I'm ashamed to say. And they're called Seal Naharan. And they are, again, almost more extremists, to be honest. And they um, actually protested outside a chapel in Ballyhonis, I'm going to say, a couple of weeks ago. And they absolutely berated the parish priest outside this chapel and parishioners going to mass on a Sunday morning because he had let Muslims into the chapel. Wow. So, I mean, this is kind of what we're dealing with here. And, you know, I, I do think that, like, the more extreme elements of this, like, I think Irish people are, are, you know, I do still think that Irish people are generally good. And I don't really think that that kind of real extreme rhetoric will work. But what we're then seeing is the groups that are organizing the protests, which are, you know, people like the Irish Freedom Party or the, the IREXIT party, as they um, used to be known. Um, and they are definitely getting a little bit more organized about uh, about things. A lot of these groups are very well connected internationally as well. Mm-hmm. They're taking all their, you know, their their tactics and things from, you know, far-right groups in, in the States and in the UK and throughout Europe and things like that. So they know what works. They're very good at, um, you know, creating outrage again on social media and, you know, spreading lies. And they know exactly how to spread lies in a way that um, really affects people and will, will get people to, to really react, I suppose. They're getting that, they're getting that natural path money. That's my conspiracy theory because the HPV, the anti HPV vaccine people came after me before. And then I found out that like they get money from, from groups in the, in the United States. And there's all these like naturopaths and just this whole sort of like anti modern medicine people. And like, there's just so much money behind all this. That's my conspiracy theory. I tie those motherfuckers into all, into this very thing. You know, how come, how come suddenly there's no girls getting sick from the HPV vaccine? Huh? How that suddenly disappeared. Once these people were found out, sorry, Steve, because you you have three minutes left, right? You have to go at one. I I do have to go at one. Yeah, Steve. Last I, question for Ethan. One quick question: Is there any? I'm trying to put a positive spin on it. Is there any correlation between societies that feel that they have a ground to stand on, that they have like they have uh, they have their own great human rights, like the right to a home, or that they feel safe in the, within their society, that there's a certain happiness within the basics of human society. Is there any correlation between those societies that have good health care, that have good housing, etc., etc., and those those kind of queuing on things being not very functional in those countries? Um, I would like to say, now I'm not 100% sure on this, but I'd like to say that places like Sweden are not really as susceptible to, to things like that. And Sweden obviously has a very good health healthcare system and, and, and all the rest. And, you know, they tend to have a society that are more in line with the government, I suppose, which is why they seem to be doing 
pretty well out of COVID as much as we thought at the start that they weren't doing well. It kind of seems more that they probably are doing well now. So, there, I mean, there definitely is a case to be said that like a happy society would, would not really want to be, wouldn't have any interest in these kind of things. Um, so, yeah, that's what we have to do. We just have to, you know, make everyone happy. And <laughs> we'll be fine. basically but, socialism is the way forward. But <laughs> yeah, but they, they have they have like a rising anti-immigrant group themselves. And then like they Ger- do, yes. Ger- Germany is like one of the is a very successful society with great, you know, social services. And, and their far right is rising like. Like th- yeah. that that's quite worrying. So I don't I don't know if you get that correlation, you know. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, you got to go Efa. So wh- wh- where where should people first of all, where should people go if they find you interesting and then where should people go if they know that you're part of a satanist conspiracy? Where will they find <laughs> Where do they find you? Um so you can find me on Twitter at ifagal, so a o i f e g a l l. Um yeah, that's probably the main place to find me and you can also follow ISD Global on Twitter as well, which is the Institute for Strategic Dialogue where I work and you'll see all the amazing work that my colleagues do as well. There's a lot more to what we do than just conspiracy theories. So um, yeah, give them to a follow and um, continue to scare the crap out of yourself. And Eva, Eva, thank you so much for making us feel like we're part of traditional media because I literally was like, we're up against the clock here. Uh, final question. Uh, <laughs> it's, this, feels, this feels so traditional. Thanks so much, Eva. Thank you so much, Eva. That was no amazing. Problem, thank you. Okay. See talk you. soon. Bye. 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 Well, now now it's just now it's just me and you, Steve. Jesus, huh? You're, are you okay after all that? I kind of knew. I knew all about like I didn't know that there were that or that QAnon was a thing. I knew all about the the carry on, but Jesus. Anyway, there you go. It was good. I mean, I have I have more questions to be honest, but I think we definitely th- could have gone on for a lot longer. That's for well, sure. no, but I also I'd like to have her back on soon. Yeah, uh, definitely. Just because she was she's a great guest and yeah. I think people are very interested in all this. Uh, plus, you know, it's just like there's everything she was saying. I had like a, like a gazillion questions about that very thing. So I just feel like we'll just get her back on with like definitely, tw- definitely, well worth it. Tw- tw- Twenty new questions. Plus, to be honest, I I'd like to get her on when we're all in Ireland because one of the things that sucks about these Zoom interviews is like it's 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 hard to read people's verbal cues or when they want to jump in and you can't get that you can't get that back and forth because you have to really time your you know when you come in yes and yeah. you, you know it, it, but but at the same time like I, I i was very happy and i i was very impressed actually with yeah i was well impressed well impressed i'm really interested in the work that she does it's fascinating um, so I, I feel bad that Joanne wasn't here because she's actually the reason why we were doing the the conspiracy theory stuff. Um, but uh, uh, we'll be back. What do we got? We, next week we don't have Joanne. Then we have Joanne the week after. Yes. And uh, I I asked um, I asked Anya Martin. To, oh, brilliant! To, so she's she's going to join us. Give us a she's give, great give, crack man. She's brilliant. Give us a laugh. Is going to be on. Is going to be on with us soon. And um, so a lot to look forward to uh, in the next few weeks. Oh, also, by the way, I have a I have a bonus app, which I haven't oh. even told, I haven't even told you about yet, Steve. Jeez. Um, which is uh, I interviewed my friend, um, African-American woman who grew up very difficult childhood and then went on to become a lawyer, went to University of Wisconsin. And um, I talked to her about her own life and also about, you know, issues around race in America. I'm going to put that up as a bonus app. But what I might, what I might do, Steve, is uh, I might send you the file so maybe we can have a chat about it 
after. Definitely, like, yeah. I'd love to. I'd yeah. love to listen to it. Yeah, this is not like two white guys talking about race after listening. <laughs> after listening to somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. So, uh, any any of your own pods to plug there, Steve? Uh, just uh, who do we have on? I do have. Speaking of uh, race issues, uh, Ash is a, an amazing singer songwriter, and she one of her songs was on Hello Steve podcast last week. So she's going to come up on the show. Uh, uh, next week to talk about growing up mixed race in Ireland. Um, so yeah, that's coming up. Um, oh, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. I'd be, I'd really check her out um, on Instagram at Ash Official. So it's A I S. But beautiful singer, beautiful singer. So yeah, check her out at Hello Steve O on Instagram. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks everybody. I'm at Des Bishop. Don't forget, we love the reviews on uh, on the Apple Podcasts. Please take a screenshot if you listen on Spotify. Put it up on your Instagram. Just let people know about the pod. Let Joanne know you miss her. Uh, loads of promo. Um, we, we love all that. Uh, shout out to all the QAnon people that are listening now. So. Yeah, shout out, to all, shout out to all our new listeners. I got to go. We're running out of time. I got, uh, I got some people in a cage in my basement that I need to get back to. Uh, you know, and um, I have I have some sage to burn for the devil. Uh, <laughs> oh so, my god! Yeah, I got some fluoride to uh, to put to put in my neighbor's water. Oh, that's all I, he ever feeds me to get on this podcast, guys. Yeah, I, I have some chronic fatigue to give to people through vaccination. Uh, <laughs> I got I got a lot of bad shit to do, uh, all for the benefit of maintaining my upper middle class life. Um, <laughs> I got, I got, I got Republican, I got Republican sympathizers to commu- communicate with secretly in RTE. I've just got a lot of different things that I need to do right now. So we'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll chat to you guys soon. Thanks so oh much. God. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.